Hey, what's up? This is Will with Collective Soul, and you are listening and talking rock with Dave and Shane. Hey everybody, this is Joe Lynch. Hi everybody, this is John Halford. Here we go. This is Steve Hackett. You folks are just recapping a triumph from a talking rock with Dave and Shane. Here we go. This is huge. Collective soul. Oh my god, this is so cool, dude. We're just so fired up here on the Rock of Nations podcast coming at you live. There he is. Will Turpin, uh, man, the legendary bassist of Collective Soul. How you doing, brother? Good, man. Get taking a little second to get online here in the hotel, but I made it. Yeah, man. Hey, we yes. appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you're on with uh, Shimmer and Shane uh, and myself, Dave. <laughs> and uh, you guys are doing uh, playing Bethlehem tonight, right? Uh, you guys got a lot of history playing uh, the Pennsylvania area. I know Philly and everything. Uh, I mean, dude, it's you know it's been going on so long now. Uh, Thirty years. It's hard <laughs> to like fathom. Uh, how long we've been doing it but um yeah man bethlehem steel they uh they uh they renovated this place a lot of history here they renovated this place maybe a decade ago really cool little area if you ever get a chance to it's amazing yeah the steel stacks yeah yeah i'm out of philly will so i know it (laughs) you know it well yeah train was train was just there so you guys tonight Yeah, back in the day when we were playing smaller places, like it was always it was always major cities, and it would be like we'd be so excited to like play the TLA in Philadelphia or you know somewhere in Manhattan, and and now it's like I don't know. Thirty years later, we're in festivals and sometimes casinos and whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so thirty years, man. I mean, does it? You guys started. I think it was the end of '93. Is that right? So it's it's like I mean. Did you, I know you get the question a lot. Did you think it'd be 30 years? But, uh, you know, so I guess that's, that's, you got to pinch yourself sometimes. Plus you guys have more number ones. You can't fit all your number ones in a set. Is that right? I guess we could. (laughs) It'd be a long set, which we would not complain about. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, we've never been known for filler. You know, we don't have, we've got a lot of deep cuts in the record. So I think if we just chose the songs based on their commercial success, I think we'd be shorting, uh, shorting the possibilities of, of of a collective soul set list um but yeah there's a couple number ones that aren't on the set list right now that being said you know we're always going to find a space for world i know december shine um you know all the all the big ones like that river flows and oh man why part two and into the 2000s yeah you know? it's like you guys been covering rem too <laughs> love and covering rem they they we were actually really i remember being young and being really proud of REM because they they came from you know a town near us uh and they didn't sound like a southern rock band uh nothing against that we that was part of our heritage and something that you know we love we love the Almond Brothers we love uh Leonard Skinner we love we appreciate that music but we were never going to sound like that and so I remember being in high school thinking oh that's a band from Georgia that doesn't sound like a southern rock band and, and so we were just really proud of that and uh and of course, you know, they, they ended up having one of the biggest careers ever. And uh, and here we are from Georgia trying to do the same thing. Damn. Is it, um you know, talk about those early days, you know, I mean, getting the band, you know, because the 90s, were, it was such a unique time uh, for music. And we had like, I mean, radio was obviously much more supportive, you know, world I know 
I got, I remember that video growing up and it was just like, I mean, in all those hits, you guys were like the soundtrack to my high school, college years. And I mean, what was it like? Cause you, you know, I, do you feel like fans kind of grew up with you guys too? I mean, it, it makes that connection a little bit uh, tighter. Yeah, it does. Because uh, I mean, I remember being young and thinking uh, we weren't really, we weren't, we weren't happy with where we were. We always wanted to do more, we wanted to record more records and we were focused on what was next, but you don't in that moment you don't realize what's happening as far as collective soul became like you said for a lot of people became the backdrop or or part of the soundtrack to their lives and you don't really realize that until that's not that's not anything you can tell yourself you want and and you can go get it it just happens and and then you realize that uh years later and and of course yeah now we've realized that that it's uh you know this music is part of the fabric of of our society and you might not know who collective soul is you might not love going to support live music but you've heard those songs and they're around you all the time and and they're they're going to be around us uh i believe longer than i will be around out here you know yeah yeah i I, uh matt serletta uh played a big part in your early career um he now runs uh, emblem music group i mean how crucial was he to collective soul's sound and and basically everything. He was like the quintessential documentary comes out next year. Um, I think a lot of people will enjoy watching how these pieces came together and understand, you know, you hear it's a small town story, but you really have no idea what kind of a small town story it is. But Matt would have been coming to real to real studios when he was in high school with his jazz band. Uh, And annually (laughs) they would record they would take one weekend and the the band director there at Redan High School would record at my father's studio. Um, that's when that connection started, wait, like through that. Everything kind of hubbed through the studio. Um, and yeah, Matt uh, had just graduated University of Miami and him and Ed, Ed had a great relationship. And yeah, he was part of, a big part of the first record and especially the second record, the self-titled uh blue record um yeah he he was just part of that group that we all understood and felt ed's songs we understood exactly where ed's songs were and 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 we all felt like uh like we were we we're just all tied as rope making this music you just acquired a real to real i mean that that had to be pretty pretty amazing huh yeah, I mean, I tell everybody it's my legacy, right? Uh, my <laughs> father opened that studio in 1976, yeah. and uh, the the location we're at now was built in 2002 or completed in 2002, and uh, yeah, and so uh, my father passed away four years ago, and that design was built from the ground up to be a studio, and there was there was just no way I was going to let it go. So I've poured a lot of energy and and money and time into it, and. Sure enough, man, there's people hanging out again. Uh, the, you can feel the lifeblood in the studio. I'm producing down there. And, uh, you know, it's it's cranking. We're having a blast. I feel my dad's energy. And it's technically now the oldest studio in Georgia. When, when Southern Tracks closed a few years ago, we are the oldest studio on the books in Georgia. So, Wow, man. Do you find yourself going in that direction as the years go on? Or are you never going to give up the rock and roll thing? Yeah, I don't see any reason to make a choice, man. Uh, no, I've never contemplated choosing one or the other. And 
uh, when, when my kids were younger, uh, I would just still create some of my own stuff or produce on the side when I had a chance. And the kids are pretty much out of the house. I've got a great recording studio, some partners. I've got a rock band. I don't see anything. I don't see any reason to choose or, or do one over the other, man. I'm just doing it all. Yeah. Um, growing up in a, you know, you guys have always seemed like a band of brothers. I mean, you, Ed, Dean, kind of the core. To have two actual brothers in a band, we always think, you know, Van Halen, you know, uh, you know, the 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 Black Crows, all these, you know, what's it, yeah. you know, what's that like? I mean, is that is that a, a, that's a different dynamic, right? You know, it is. Uh, but again, like my my entire memory, I knew who Ed and Dean were. They knew who I was. Their entire memory. We've really known each other our whole lives. So, um, uh, and there's nine years difference between Ed and Dean. Yeah. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm seven, Ed's seven and a half years my senior. Um, Ross and Shane were my age. They were, only, they were a year older than me. So we all kind of bridged the gap. And uh, we all, you know, Ed, Ed and Dean weren't brothers in a way where they were like, they, they weren't that tight because it was nine years between them. So it was almost like we were all yeah. just, brothers from that small little town uh as we evolve you know it seems like the brothers can be the ones that butt the heads the most um <laughs> but that's also where our love and stuff starts you know it started with our families that supported every one of us and and then it trickles down to us and now our families and we're all we all feel like we're brothers i mean especially me ed and dean I don't, like i said when you don't have a memory without knowing who these guys are and now i live on a bus with them and still share a stage with them <laughs> four nights a week it's it's a little uh it's a little weird yeah well the when you guys were starting out a lot of bands followed you from down south south i remember i, I lived in orlando for a while i remember you had matchbox 20 from orlando creed uh, edwin mccain seven mary three uh hootie and the blowfish so there was was there a lot of support between groups you know coming up from kind of the same area at that time or was it competitive yeah, Definitely the Southeast thing uh, with Edwin McCain uh, was such a great friend. The guys in Hootie were all good friends. Uh, you know, uh, we were always great friends with, with Emerson and Tonic, even though he was not necessarily from the South. Uh, better than Ezra from New Orleans. Yeah. What a great kinsmanship we've had with all those guys for 30 years. And I'm probably forgetting some of my friends right now. Jen Blossoms from Phoenix. Um I think our era was definitely not, we weren't like the eighties where it's like, Hey, let's compete against each other. It was more like, Hey, it's safe to come out here and play, man. Y'all write some songs. We'll write some songs and we, you know, and we'll all have fun together. It was more like that. Yeah. That's all. I mean, was there, Dave, I just, I want to follow up. Yeah, would please, you guys, yeah, please do. Would you guys ever do like, uh, would you ever consider like a tour with all those bands? That would be kind of be a big, big deal. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh man, that'd be awesome. That's a heck of a bill right there. Yeah. Like a nineties revival, man. That'd be so cool. Um, well, I mean, was it just like a whirlwind back then? Cause you guys did um, for a while you were doing, I think like two albums a year, you know, kind of like the seventies. I mean, I think uh, like kiss did that Aerosmith did that. And then, you know, like the, the touring and the videos and, and everything. I mean, how much of a whirlwind, how crazy was that? I mean, it was a whole scene, man. It was a lot Every record was what well, we did. The first five records we recorded in seven years. Uh, 
And it was Atlantic Records. It was old school also. So there was big buildup and big money. Uh, you know, every record was at least three videos, if not four or five videos. And uh, it was uh, it was great, though, because, I mean, our schedules were dialed in and we were successful. We were going out there and doing it. We were we were happy. Uh, it was it was a scream. But again, I, I tell you, man, our our main focus was we kept thinking about, OK, cool. As soon as that record was done, it wouldn't. As soon as it was released, I swear we'd be thinking about the next one, uh, and just moving forward and and you know doing our thing. It was it was busy, but we didn't stop and go, hey, look how cool we are. We never did that. We always wanted to record more and be better. Yeah. Ed says you guys are on a another creative role right now. Would you agree with that? I, I guess there what there's two. There's enough material for two more records sitting sitting in the can right now in addition to blood and vibrating coming out last year yeah yeah that's, that's what i said uh to somebody the other day just sitting around we were uh just sitting around having some food uh, i was like yeah man we're it's 30 years later and we're actually on another creative role with uh johnny and jesse being in the band now for a decade you know we've had uh their first record was see what you started uh, and then we've had blood and vibrating and i i'm I know that those records are super solid. I, we've always created by feel yeah. and, and those songs and those records, they just feel good, man. They feel right. And uh, creatively, yeah, we have stumbled onto another uh, creative flow, man. But then that, like you said, there's a double album uh, coming out next year and it's, we've got the order. We're, we're listening to it already Nice in the sequence. And we've got a few things to finish. Uh, to wrap up, but that double album, uh, go listen to it. I dare you. Rock and roll is alive over here. <laughs> Has the writing process, I know Ed kind of, you know, gets the ball rolling with things. I mean, is it still kind of the same process or, you know, does everybody contribute a lot of different ideas and, and or kind of a mixture of things? Well, I mean, it's all those. It's always all those things. Um, Ed is, you know, obviously the main reason we get to sit here and talk about the strength of collective soul songs. Um, but you know, we, he starts with some good, solid ideas and, and we just, we turn it into a collective soul tune. Um, I would say back in the day, a lot of them came a little bit more out of jam sessions. Uh, he's able to visualize maybe a little further down the line than, than 25, 30 years ago. Uh, but yeah, man, we, we start out with ideas. Sometimes it's just a riff, uh, and then we jam it out. But for the most part, Ed's got some really good. He, he, he'll have some really good verses and choruses or sometimes really complete tunes. We just have to put it in collective soul context and then come up with certain parts and certain things, you know, how are the, how are the drum and bass going to support this song? You know, the song's there, but how are we going to support it and, uh, and keep the, uh, keep the integrity of, of the band and keep the energy right. You know? Yeah. One of the, one of the things you guys always do, um, well, is you, you have kind of a different musicality on, on you can go from song to song on records and, and a lot of different styles that you guys embrace is there are there any surprises um coming up on the the this, this double album in the future yeah yeah and the <laughs> one that the one that springs ahead is the first time or springs to my mind it, it, it's definitely the first time we've uh went into a foray of what I would say is pretty much true like lounge jazz uh, oh, wow. on one of the, the tunes. <laughs> and of course, like, like you said, we've always done 
we still make it feel like a collective soul tune somehow. But uh, yeah, there's one song. I, I don't think we've ever tried this. We're swinging and it is a, uh, it's loungy lounge jazz lounge. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> nice, man. Uh, you, you've got a different, like uh unique background to like, I know you play um, uh, piano, right? Um, and you, do you like, does that playing different instruments? Does that, especially as part of the rhythm section, like how does that keep things looser, fluid for you? Is that, you know, kind of part of your approach? Um, yeah, I think it, you know, every, as an individual player, I think everything that's part of your environment or part of what you've digested as a mu musician is going to become part of your style. Um, and for me, I was, you know, definitely a refugee on bass. I, I told the guys I would play bass because it's just, that was the spot that needed to be filled. And, and we knew with that lineup, we would be um, chemistry wise, we would be the strongest we could ever be with that lineup. So yeah, man. I mean, when I think of bass lines, I'm, I'm just trying to, uh, I'm thinking about a, a piano in my head. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't grow up playing like a bass. So if I'm yeah. playing a bass part, I know the song, but I'm, I'm visualizing a left hand of a, of a piano when I'm playing a bass part. So cool, man. Well, speaking of bass and piano, I mean, and you just mentioned jazz. I, is that uh, jazz is having a major resurgence right now, especially with vinyl heads. Mm -hmm. uh, are you guys, are any of you guys real big jazz fans? Yeah. I, I'd say me and Johnny probably the, uh, the most because we both, you know, we were both on that schooled side of things as well. Um, we were both involved in rock and roll, but uh, we were, we were both music majors at school. So we got to, uh, you know, we had to take jazz history and, had to get in the jazz combo bands and, and pass past certain classes and, and jam with certain people. Yeah. I was playing a, I was playing jazz drum set in college and jazz combo bands. So, I mean, it's, it's all just music to me, uh, but me and Johnny, me and Johnny have some, uh, you know, a little more, a little more, uh, you know, hours and, and stuff on the uh, jazz stuff. We love some Miles Davis, Coltrane, love the classics like that. That, um, and then some of that new age, that new age 80s jazz that was around. We talk about the Yellow Jackets every now and then and uh, Dave Weckl and, you know, all those guys. Yeah, man, that was that was a, a whole scene. Like, it's it's so cool to see kind of all that, you know, especially with vinyl just coming back around and 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 all that. I mean, are you do you collect a lot in general, like vinyl in, in general? I do. And I, I, I sometimes I. Uh, I sometimes peruse the auction sites for some good stuff. I, I just bought a Sticks record that was signed by Dennis DeYoung, Tommy Shaw, and Shane oh, Pound. So the nice. grand illusion. Nice, man. <laughs> do, you hit, good one. do you hit up places on tour? Yeah, I hit up places on tour uh, for sure. We come home. We always come home with – we usually have to buy, like, extra luggage just to get home. You know? <laughs> I know that feeling. Nice. <laughs> Is there a uh, favorite place? You know, I'm man, sorry. there's a lot of them. Collective Soul's been lucky to uh like we everywhere we go, we've got a strong following. But there there's definitely like, you know, there's a lot of cool towns over the years, man. Philly's been always good to us. Chicago's been great to us. Uh we just left San Diego where they've always been good to us. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I like them. I like getting into the major cities and thinking about the memories and how long it's been that we've been coming here. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you get, you, you talk about how songs can take you back to your youth. It's like go, going into Seattle and walking by the Moore Theater. 
takes me back to my youth when I was 23 years old and 24, 25. And I was like, yeah, man, we're supposed to be conquering the world with rock and roll. I knew, I knew we had it, you know? Uh, yeah. But I like all the, I like all the cities, man. There's, there's nowhere we don't really dislike. And of course, you know, Florida and Atlanta, Atlanta Georgia, uh, they're proud of us. And that makes us feel really good that they're proud of us and that that's our hometown. So it's always fun to play there too. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys are playing Detroit, um, uh, September 2nd, uh, Arts Beats and Eats in Royal Oak. I mean, I, I think you guys played there, uh, I know once before, some years back, I mean, kind of right in the center of the Detroit area. And, uh, you know, you, you guys have a huge fan base here. Um, like, I, like I know Detroit radio just growing up was always like, you know, pumping out collective soul stuff. I mean, any, any Detroit memories at all? Yeah, man. Uh, from the very first time, you can just tell, like, there's a reason why it's called Do Detroit Rock City. Like, the very first time we went, you could tell that that crowd was aggressively rock and roll. You know, not in not in a bad way, but it is it is strong rock and roll uh, fanship there in Detroit, and it always has been, it still is. We just played a theater there a couple months ago. Did you ever get the yeah, tour of the Third Man? Man? No, what's that? That Third Man pressing plant. That's Jack White of White Stripes plant. Uh, he has oh, one. I didn't know the name of it. He's got a, Dave, does he have a plant or a store in Detroit? I forget. I know he's got two somewhere. Yeah, he's got a store. Yeah, I think it's it's both. Yeah, he's got a big store, the Cass Quarter, uh, like downtown, uh, near downtown. Yeah, he part of the whole team that revitalized that area, man. It's it's like, it's it's a definite tourist stop for sure, you know. Very cool. Touristy stop, yeah, man. What yeah, are your, what are your thoughts on all the, the streaming uh, kids you know, young bands trying to start out right now. Uh, there've been a lot of artists that have talked about this in the last few months. Uh, uh, Steve Lukather being one of them. Um, now it's so much easier to get this music and there's so much stuff out there. Do uh, you think it's, it's going to be a lot harder for bands like you guys, you know, when you guys start out to, to get a leg up in this industry? I think the good, you know, I'd like to say the cream's still going to rise to the top somehow. Uh, but I'm, I am noticing that, like, it's harder for the young bands to garnish a true live following compared to what it used to be. They can get popular and people can hear their music, but they don't. It's hard for them to translate to where they can sell tickets. Um, yeah, I get a lot of bands. I just had a meeting with the band uh, before we started this leg of the tour who has a lot of followers on Instagram and TikTok and they write great songs, but they've never stepped into a real studio. And wow. that's just the reality of it. it. It's, it's a good thing. It could be considered a bad thing, but that's just the reality of where we are right now. That being said, we're going to make them sound really good on their next stuff, you know, and it'll, it'll sound even better uh, now that they're in a real studio, but you know, they, I think that's the good and the bad, right? That it's it's so easy to get popular. That for some people that's gonna be amazing because we're gonna we're gonna be look look what we found on the internet. Look, would the world even know this existed? Look how good it is, you know. But then there's also the watering down or the dumbing down of of what we're digesting too. So I don't know. I don't know where that balance is and and I can't analyze what what's good and what's bad about it, but it, it's it's definitely a lot different than me when Steve Lukather was was making records, and certainly a lot different than we when we were making records in the '90s. I mean, they they still made cassettes of of our third record. They still make cassettes in '97. <laughs> our third, yeah. 
That's yeah. crazy. Could, could you, you know, that, that was the world you knew, and no pun intended. Um, but could you ever imagine, like, if you were starting out today? I mean, just what it would, what, what it would be like, and everything. I, you know, studio technology's changed. I'm sure. You know, recording technology. You know, some say the industry is actually gone itself, but like, you know, it's all social media branding. I mean, would you? What, what do you think that would that would be like if you guys were starting out today? I mean, so that's a whole podcast we can talk about because, I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. of course. <laughs> We would have never imagined how all those things have evolved, but we were right in the thick of it. We saw it all or, or experienced almost every bit of it firsthand. Um, even our second record uh, in 95, we were using Pro Tools. And, and per what everybody says in, in the industry, we were probably the first commercial album that was successful to use Pro Tools in 95. Wow. And then it was it was typically editing. It was strictly, I should say, strictly editing software only. It was not a recording format. You still absolutely had to go through a two inch tape machine then to this editing software called Pro Tools. Um, and then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't you fast forward another five, maybe seven years and everything being recorded is on a hard drive uh, and then go another 10 years. and It's all flash drive and it's it's on a computer this barely the size of my hand it's yeah. multiple my terabytes of amazing fast information is getting recorded uh quietly too all these things used to make noise in studios we'd have, have to have a, a whole separate room where you had like some nice vacuum sealed doors so you couldn't you couldn't hear a hard drive spin you couldn't hear a tape machine uh power amps uh, all that's changed uh we watched vinyl disappear now it's walk into walmart you got rows of vinyl are you kidding me i would have never guessed that are you kidding me uh who, who knew yeah who knew we were gonna get paid for streaming songs and getting on big playlists and stuff you know i no, we didn't we had no idea thank god we, we just paid attention to and and i think part of that's just how we grew up but we we stayed true to what we really are we're a band and we make music and and we support songs and, and we stay true to that and, and the rest kind of follows for us. And and like I said, we notice we take part and we are right in the middle of it. Like I said, we were we were part of the bands that made Pro Tools a common household name. We were one of the first ones. But our job is to stay true to the songs and 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 be a rock band. Yeah. Yeah. We we lost some uh, generational talents the last couple of weeks. Uh, Sinead O'Connor, Robbie Robertson, uh, wherever those artists uh, important to you, um, you know, losing yeah, people last, like that's. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, the last waltz was just it was important. And, you know, my father influenced me a lot with the music that I loved, uh, or at least got introduced to. You know, I was in the '80s, so there were some things that. I, that were part of my generation, but he taught me about the really good stuff from the generation before that. And uh, I remember watching Dr. John play piano going, God, that's, that has to be the best piano player ever in the world. And, and I just thought that whole show, uh, um, I just thought that whole performance, the last waltz was amazing. I thought the, the musicianship was perfect. Um, and I loved it. So yeah, that, that was an influence on me. Uh, and yeah, and it's just it's uh it's it's tough to see 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 people go, but yeah, it seems like it's uh more and more, especially that that generation from the seventies and even some of them from the late sixties. I mean, Paul McCartney's my 
he's he's the you know he's everything to me musically and creatively and you know he's getting he's he's right at 80 years old now he's still out there kicking ass but uh nobody's you know we're not living forever so yeah 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 it's like when you lose your heroes it's so eye-opening you know and and just i don't know it's just it's crazy no doubt yeah i'm, I'm the like i said i keep mentioning paul because i'm 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 already like can't imagine the day when in when that you know i don't want that to happen, yeah you know? yeah, yeah, yeah i can't even think about it. yeah i can't even think about that now would did you watch the Let It Be, that whole thing? Did you watch the whole movie on the creation of the album from Peter Jackson? Yeah, the Peter Jackson thing was great. It was, uh, what was the name of it? It was uh, Get Back or what? what? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, he threw in every Easter egg possible. Any story <laughs> or possible story I'd ever heard of the Beatles, if there was any reference to it at all, he threw it in there and, and then... He also threw in anything that, like, when I when I would hear like uh, Paul playing uh, a certain song that was on like Ram, you know, two years later, it, he threw in all those Easter eggs. I think uh, I tell some of my friends, I'm like, y'all should watch it with me. I'll show y'all so many little Easter eggs that you missed, you know. But uh, I thought Peter did a great job. And like I said, some friends are like, yeah, it's just like watching the Beatles rehearse. I was like, yeah, but. There was just so many little Easter eggs there. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. Do you remember the part when Paul said, uh, you know, they're waiting on John and Yoko to get to rehearsal and they were talking about how committed John is to Yoko. And Paul's like, oh, no, he'd never leave the band. And he goes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what if, what if people think the storyline uh, 20 years from now is John Lennon left the Beatles for Yoko Ono? I mean, he actually said that, you know? Yeah. That one was easy to see as, as far as uh, what kind of uh, comment that was, but I loved it. I loved hearing all the songs that they were doing. I, I saw the uh, Paul had the set list for what or the the sequence of how he wanted the songs on Let It Be, and it started out with um, All Things Must Pass. So he had already heard George Harrison's song All Things Must Pass, and I just thought that was really cool how fast they were moving back then. Think about it. They broke up. They released that record Let It Be. George had the first solo record out. John had the second one out. Paul had the third solo record out. And then they all had, Paul had a Wings record out within another year after that. They released like five records in that first 12 months after they broke up. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was nuts. Yeah. And and, and to see their, their independent styles kind of growing too, as they were growing as songwriters and, and everything, you know, and then it, you sort of reframe that with like what they brought in together and just that, unit like that you know I, I especially the help here um, so you guys uh you guys how many what's next on the road i mean you guys have uh, allentown tonight um i mean any any other like are there venues that like stand out to you that you're like oh man we love this place you played it for years because i know sometimes like venues get torn down after a while like are yeah. there some favorites still yeah there's definitely some favorites uh the fox in atlanta we just had the opportunity to play there again nice that place is magical of course red rocks everybody mentions red rocks oh yeah but, oh, man. but you can't really overestimate it it's i mean it is it's a spiritual place uh, and and just getting in here and seeing all the crowds it feels good to it, it feels good to be uh you know going on 30 years and people are still excited to see us play yeah, yeah. Man. Very I, cool. I was wondering uh and you're talking about get back uh yoko was talking to linda most of the time 
<laughs> while they were actually playing songs and rehearsing, I was wondering if maybe that was part of the reason why Paul used to get pissed off at her because she'd be sitting there yapping the whole time. Do you remember those clips? I don't know if it was edited that way. I always kind of thought mm. it was real time, but because they had what ten cameras going sometimes. Well, but... The other thing, one thing I noticed was Paul was the one having more fun with the new age Yoko stuff than it looked like John was a. Uh annoyed by it paul would have more fun making this <laughs> new age announce with yoko uh, yeah. so i thought that was kind of crazy my uh, yeah I, my only other question was just uh dolly i was just at the rock and roll hall of fame got to see uh, the, the dolly exhibit there and stuff I, I know she covered shine from you guys great version love that version i still can't get over um how good of a cover song that is um what, what, what do you think about Dolly going in at her age in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Oh, gosh, I think I could I could, uh, I could learn more and more about her and still love it. I mean, what an icon. I'm good with, you know, I'm good with rock and roll being that genre that basically means anything, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't have to get too specific. I think she is rock and roll. I mean, the girl, she was an independent girl in the era where – it was it was harder for girls to get or, or women to get a chance. Uh, and she's writing her own songs and she's performing them with uh, the confidence and and the style that she came out with in her early days. Uh, I got nothing but nothing but like a lot of uh, esteem and uh, you know just a lot of lot of uh, whatever I'm trying to say. Just I think she's awesome. Uh, her recording that song her recording shine that was a big deal for us too uh we just we were felt you know so honored to have somebody like dolly do it um the story goes that was her husband's favorite song and uh she recorded it for him so no yeah, that must have been a pinch me moment right i mean just like uh <laughs> so that was that was kind of a pinch me moment but when it closed out the righteous gemstones the other night then we were really like whoa yeah <laughs> i saw that yeah yeah what, that's a crazy show it's just... <laughs> we've made oh. it we've, we've made and, and danny mcbride yeah. uh and, and walter goggins too so I, I think there was a little georgia connection even though you know we never you know never contacted by them or anything but i think there's a little georgia connection there a little something yeah. something going on yeah man. Yep. <laughs> awesome well, is there anything else you'd like to add, man? I can't wait for you guys to come to Detroit. I mean, you know, Philly, Allentown, they're in for a treat tonight, man. It's just very cool. Yeah, man. Uh, we just, hey, we enjoy playing live. It's a, at this point, come celebrate with us. We just, uh, we celebrate life. We celebrate the memories and, uh, and throw out those good vibes. Awesome, dude. Right. Well, Turpin, right a collective soul, man. Thanks, dude. Thanks for, for talking to us, man. Really appreciate you. Cheers. Thank you all, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah. yeah.